Then Jesus said to them, What you have just heard me read has come true today. All the people started talking about Jesus and were amazed at the wonderful things he said. They kept on asking, Isn't this Joseph's son? Jesus answered, You will certainly want to tell me this saying, Doctor, first make yourself well. You will tell me to do the same things here in my hometown that you heard I did in Capernaum. But you can be sure that no prophets are liked by the people in their own hometown. Once during the time of Elijah, there was no rain for three and a half years, and people everywhere were starving. There were many widows in Israel. But Elijah was sent only to a widow in the town of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. In the time of the prophet Elijah, many men in Israel had leprosy, but no one was healed except Naaman, who lived in Syria. When the people in the meeting place heard Jesus say this, they became so angry that they got up and threw him out of town. They dragged him to the edge of the cliff on which the town was built because they wanted to throw him down from there. But Jesus slipped through the crowd and got away. Hello and welcome to the Lectio Cascadia podcast. My name is Brandon Rhodes and I'm glad you're here. Thank you also to Kevin McLeod over at IncompeteTech.com for our music this week and to Anchor FM for hosting and distributing this podcast. I want to say also thank you to all the new listener, listeners. Uh, I have done next to nothing to share this uh, podcast, and yet a handful of you that are listening in, uh, whether I know you or not, in both ways, I am differently and sincerely honored and thankful that you find this podcast worthy of your time. So I am learning that producing um, thoughtful reflections every week is like, it, it's an incredible challenge. Uh, this is one of my favorite stories that we're going to talk about this week in all of the stories about Jesus. And I just feel unworthy to only be able to give little slivers of a week to the work of reflecting on it with and for you. Uh, there is so much more to the story or really any of the lectionary readings than I can really say. Which is a relief, but also just humbling. Uh, I'd like to give this podcast more time, and I'm reshuffling a few things in life to give that a shot, uh, keeping my Fridays more clear so I can just have one focal day for it, you know? Fingers crossed, or, well, fate folded in prayer. Um, anyway, yeah, thank you so much for uh, hearing these humble little gifts. Also, as you may have noticed, last week I said we'd be finishing the Nazareth Manifesto story in two weeks, which is now one week, which is to say, well, um, today. <laughs> uh, that's because I was so easily confused by the lectionary. Uh, it's so ancient, it confused me, or at least the website I found it on is. Uh, it turns out there was an additional holiday reading in there that I didn't recognize as a holiday. I mean, I do, but, you know, I didn't recognize the website. Anyway, so, yeah, here we are. Uh getting to finish up this story uh, right after it started, the way I was kind of hoping and expecting it to be. So, yeah, um, uh, let's let's do this. So last week was the first part of this story. Really just one simple scene. Jesus and his entourage stroll back into his hometown where he joins their sacred meeting in this building called the synagogue or meeting place uh, to his religious tribe. They believed that the realm of power and light and divinity uh, and the realm where we live, uh, heaven and earth, uh, come together when their sacred scrolls were read in community together. Uh, 
new worlds and new layers of meaning were birthed into reality in reflecting on their sacred stories together. So wherever two or more are gathered, reading Torah, that's the kind of earliest and most important part of their scrolls, there the uh, presence of God dwells. That was one of the sayings they had. Uh, since they were too far away to get the to get to that surest place for that kind of magic to happen, uh, which is this big temple in their old capital, Jerusalem, they worked it out that you, you get the temple thing, you get the big magic, the deep magic, the presence of the sacred, whenever their most cherished texts were read. Now, that was f- foremost when folks were reading, yeah, like I said, the, the, the Torah, uh, which is, is not what Jesus read from. He read from a scroll by the student Isaiah. It was a sacred thing to read that kind of thing in that kind of building. So he reads this promised scroll, this revolutionary scroll, where the divine presence, the Spirit, is upon him to announce the cancellation of debts, the return of all the lands taken by the rich and oppressors and occupiers, freedom for prisoners, sight to the blind, liberation. And the Spirit uh, is on him to do this. So the story opens with Jesus saying, yep, that big promise, the revolution is at hand, uh, and you're hearing of this. Uh, and there's some deep magic going on with it. And again, he, he said probably a bit more than this. Uh, and Luke, the guy who wrote this stuff down, uh, just kind of gave us that zinger summary of it. The big thing is happening in me reading this. And that's where the story paused for where we were for the last week, uh, for us anyway, uh, just at that kind of mic drop moment. So he reads this in this little town, Nazareth. I think it's about 200 folks who lived there around that time in history. He'd lived there for about the past 20 years. These folks, uh, they have a sense of who Jesus is, or at least who his dad is, Joseph. Um, in the story, it's like they're all saying, whoa, isn't this Joseph's son? And they're saying that kind of in connection to how eloquent he was. Who they knew him to be did not line up with the eloquence or uh, insights that he was bringing in that presentation. But, I mean, (laughs) holy shit, what happens next is startling. Jesus is a local boy. He's gone to the meeting place with these folks hundreds of times before and seems to have known exactly what their response was going to be where it was going to lead. Uh, all right, Sonny, let's see some of your blind healing here. Some of that liberation. You're one of us. You are us. Heal thyself, doctor. I, I probably shouldn't be using a southern accent to convey backwardness, sorry. <laughs> um, but, you know, they're, they're, they're flattery uh, about it all. He, he cuts right through it. Uh he senses within it a sense of betrayal. You're saying nice things to me. Bless your heart. <laughs> uh, but there's within it disappointment. Their sense of scarcity is nested within their amazement. He's ours. He'll probably disappoint us. We better get a special seat at this table that he's setting up a jubilee. We're the worst off. He damn well better fix us. They wanted to control this liberation. It was theirs. It was small. It wasn't just heaven and earth coming together. It was heaven and just Nazareth. 
this jubilee liberation work of the divine. Jesus' aunties and uncles and neighbors were saying was theirs first. We raised them. We get first dibs. There was a sense of scarcity right from the back. Jubilee and liberation should have been good news to them, though. You know, like, uh, in time, you know, of course it would be. But instead, uh, they're just like, he, he, he looks into them and, and just knows that they've got this self-centered scarcity around it. Uh, he reads between the lines. He knows their hearts. They were already treating Jubilee as a thing, not as a gift. It's like he couldn't bear to hear them say it. Uh, he he puts so he puts the words into their mouth. He uses some um, kind of proverbs that he knows that they're going to be saying to him, and just says plainly what was churning in the darkness of their hearts: thing, not gift; it, not thou; us, not them; here, not there. Us first, not a second. Only our tribe, not also theirs. Power, not possibility. Scarcity, not abundance. Let's keep this as just good news, not great news. It's the story, it's it's important to know. It's it's not just something that happens with people a long time ago or to rural people or conservative people or religious people. This is, I mean, their response is a totally human way to behave. We crave security. We crave our own uplift, our own empowerment. And particularly for some of us, we really want clean, predictable boundaries. We want to know who's in and who's out. This is how we make sense of the world. Who gets the goods? Who gets the duds? Uh, it promises to make reality orderly, morality, tidy, community, and belonging predictable. Any challenge to this us-first tribalism is uh, a, a profoundly intimate threat to many. It's, it's, God, it's way in there. It goes down deep. And honestly, I think we all have some significant amount of this. Like I said, it's not just, you know, conservatives or Enneagram sixes, you know. Um, orderliness to reality, predictability of belonging, us-firstism, eth ethical purity. These, these aren't ideological values only. They're, they're things of the heart. They're how we, in different ways, feel safe, feel bonded socially. They're how we tell our stories. The fear and scarcity that Jesus calls out in them is at the level of love and fear, story and metaphor, not ideology and systems of thought only. He's doing something good, and it puts them in their lizard brains, right? He's got no time for that shit, though. So... <laughs> Yeah, Jesus calls out, uh, well, stories, Stor their own stories that counterbalance this attitude of uh, scarcity. He tells their own sacred stories of these completely wild characters, Elijah and Elisha, of how their God totally colored outside the lines of uh, their own lines and lines of their own people. God's love and provision and healing showed up to the wrong people. It's like Jesus is saying, this is a completely normal part of our story, you guys. Don't act so surprised. How do you not get it? And that's an interesting thing, by the way. Um, a lot of times people who have been kicked out, who have been booted, who have been harmed, who have uh, 
because of who they are or who they love or what they think or what they believe in or will stand up for or will or will not do. Um, they get that the boundary keeping doesn't work because it's almost killed them or it's killed people they know. The crazy ones know what's really crazy. And here's the thing. Life is bigger than our fears, our selfishness, our scarcity. God's long-expected party we will become a most unexpected party. Life unfolds. It doesn't fold in. Newness emerges from difference, not predictable sameness. Love is for everyone or it's for no one. Liberation and jubilee are about life flowing through the mounds of dead bones that make up human history and your own story, not just putting you and your little scepter on top of it. Evolution, future, life itself, it always pushes boundaries. It's actually necessary. Evolution needs it. It's some genes trying something different out, something that sets it apart from what everyone's used to. Boundaries and predictability aren't bad. But Jesus is saying that's not what moves the story of ultimate reality, of abundant life, of biological life, right, forward. Expansion and development really can't and won't unfold from the center. There's a way in which it has to unfold, often, from the outside to actually preserve the center. The center is nothing without the perimeter. Those who are most fastidious about borders and lines will be in for a rude awakening to find out that the gates of heaven are always open. The pagan is blessed, not just alongside the Hebrew, but sometimes even ahead. It's completely normal, even though they're both beloved. And when liberation comes, it won't just be for you or people like you. It's for everyone. And when your boundaries feel strained, when you hear them creaking, when your sense of reality and personal security and who's in and who's out are rupturing, Stay with it. Measure your breaths. Thank your body for its concerns. Remember the old stories of how necessary this is. Look for the new amid the ruptures, the blooms among the booms. It could well be that this is the divine birthing something new. And if you find yourself beginning to name a new reality being birthed, if you walk outside the warmth of the camp to huddle with wonder at the new seedling pushing apart the untamed cold soil, and if you come back into the camp, to the campfire, and call this good, it just might be that those who watched you grow up may try to throw you off a cliff. May your week ahead be filled with curiosity and wonder, gratitude and laughter, courage and presence. And may the peace of Christ be with you. Mm-hmm.